to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical College's Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on this episode of the podcast, I am joined by my good friend and colleague, Kim DeBrew. She is the principal consultant at Diversity Dimensions Consulting, LLC, and co-host of the Visible Women podcast. Be sure to check that out. It's a great show. Kim and I are going to discuss the concepts of equality, equity, and fairness today on the show. The discussion touches on how these concepts shape our understanding of um, the educational and professional experience. Now, equality, equity, and fairness are often used interchangeably. They're often conflated, but in reality, they're actually quite different. They are related, (laughs) but they are different. Um, And not only are they different, they often show up in our lives in very different ways. And for, for some populations, the distinctions are critical in how rules and guidelines are actually applied to them. What we understand to be fair may be rooted in equity versus equality or equality versus equity. And what all of this looks like in things like admissions, hiring, professional work is really important, really meaningful. And Kim is here to help us understand a bunch of this today. Maybe not all of it because it's uh, too much for one podcast, but we're really excited. Kim DeBrew, welcome back to the show. If you have been a longtime listener, you know that uh, Kim used to be with our collegial organization, the American Dental Education Association, and she was featured on a previous podcast talking about holistic admissions. So welcome back to the show. Happy to be back with you, Lisa, and with all of the listeners for the AAVMC podcast. You You are an inspiration to those of us who want to get our voice out there for on behalf of good, on behalf of social justice issues. So so thanks for continuing to hold this space for these important conversations. Thank you so much. So, Kim, for folks that are new to the show listening, why don't you tell them what you're up to these days? Yeah, so it's a wonderful journey. As you know, Lisa, I've been in health professions education for pretty much all of my career. I started out as a a grassroots community health educator um, shortly after getting out of graduate school and moved into medical education, then dental education. And now I'm on my own helping support health professions more broadly. So I have clients in the PA education world, in nursing, uh, in medicine, and I'm still keeping close ties with my dental colleagues, where I spent probably 13 years working, helping support schools who want to step into the diversity, equity, inclusion space in bigger ways, and also grow the faculty ranks of leaders on behalf of these efforts. So I'm consulting and I'm also coaching. I'm working one-on-one with leaders who want to work on themselves. So it's, it's a full practice. I'm excited to be able to be with you to unpack some of the critical issues, um, distinctions in 
in language and our diversity work become critically important. On uh, having a, a lexicon that is is shared and is understood is almost foundational for any of this work. So I'm I'm glad that we're going to be able to unpack this terminology today. Well, great. So Kim is awesome. I'm a big fan. We go way back. <laughs> and I'm delighted to have her on the show. So why don't we just go ahead and dive right in with some definitions. So what is equality? So if I could start with fairness, sure. because it, I think it speaks to, in many ways, a value that is very core to what it means to be in an American education system, right? When we talk about uh, opportunity to education, the notion of fairness, of everyone has a right to education. I mean, it's, just, it's like mom and apple pie, right? It really speaks to our core. And I use that as the big umbrella because the way to fairness is at the heart of the matter, right? right. Um, the way that we get to fair Equity is one route to fairness, right? It acknowledges that resources may be divided and shared unequally to make sure that each person has a, has a fair chance to su- succeed. It takes into account that people have different access to resources. It takes into account that the system that exists within this country in terms of opportunity is uneven, that systems of oppression and privilege really are in operation in our in our society. And equity seeks to balance that disparity. So I want I want to just pause there. So equity is really acknowledges, let's use one kind of very practical metaphor. Thinking about track and field, right? Mm-hmm. So you have um, a set of runners. And I think in sprints, the fastest runners are, and it's been a while since I've run track, um, <laughs> the fastest runners are in what, like lanes four and five or three and four. I think it's four and five, right? So they, they actually have an advantage in those lanes, right? And then the runners that have not qualified as highly, right, are in some of the outer lanes, right? So that is a, that is fair, right? Because Mm -hmm. you got the fastest time. So you got a preferred slot, right? Okay. But equity seeks to kind of balance that, right? Like equity would say, you know what? Somebody might have um, in that same lane, they might have some rocks. They might have a hurdle. They may Mm -hmm. have other things that are in in their way. So equity might actually have somebody start a little bit further down the track. So it really seeks to acknowledge the conditions in which those track runners live. Mm. I want to pause there also to say that the importance of us really trying to dig into these definitions are really to understand the words that we use, to understand that the person sitting right next to you in an admissions committee meeting or at seated at a leadership table might look at the same thing and see it very differently. Sure. And that if we're trying to seek common solutions, if we're trying to actually end up in the same place, then how critically important it is to understand the language that we use. So if I'm sitting next to a colleague and they say, well, you know, I'd like to apply an equity lens to the way that we look at candidates, right? For me, 
that might mean I want to give extra, well, let's, let's just talk about a classroom. If you want to look at a classroom situation with an equity lens, that might say, well, for students with some diagnosed mm-hmm. learning challenge, right, they may get extra time on a, an exam, right? Yeah. So that might be. So that's that's good grounds for equity, right? Like it's a diagnosed condition. But what if for another student, they're coming this, coming into classroom hungry, right? Mm-hmm. Or had an uneven preparation, right? The things that are less visible or right. were freaked out every time somebody said, you know, it's a, it's a test that's going to judge your, I don't know, intellectual rigor, right? And that triggers some stereotype threat, right? Mm-hmm. Equity for that student might mean something totally different. It might be changing the language you use. It might be providing resources so that that student might, you know, have some, you know, make sure that they have groceries, a way to eat regularly, right? Like it, it may mean two very different things to two colleagues that are sitting at the very same table. So that's equity. Should I keep going or you have a question? Yeah, so so in thinking about that, then moving, clearly we're going to be moving to equality. So equality ends up being that everyone around that table is looking at everyone the exact same way. Well, I'm sorry that Barry is hungry. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with the way that I am assessing Barry versus Julia, who is not hungry. Yeah. Right. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, so very quickly, we can get to sort of the the intractable barriers in the system, right? Mm -hmm. It's very easy to over-rely on, well, the default is everybody should get the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I would, that's, this is where, you know, you and I, when we had sort of our pre-conversation, I felt like we cannot have the conversation about distinctions between equity and equality without first talking about what is the starting with the end in mind. What's the goal right. here? Right. So at that same table, when we're talking about for the sake of what do we have policies that are about equality for the sake of what do we have policies that are around about equity? Right. Without answering that question first, I think we're not going to come up with any common solutions and common ground. So let's take the for the sake of what question on, right? For the sake of what are we veterinary medical colleges doing work to educate future practitioners, future the future workforce for, for the profession, right? For the sake of what, right? We want great researchers. We want great practitioners. We want great educators, <laughs> Say it again. Food. We want great food. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So these are literally, yeah, that that actually might be the place to start. So if that's your starting point, right? All right. So who who are the people that we want to train and how do we actually make sure that they make it into our doors, through our curriculum and back out again? Mm -hmm. Right. So if we start with that, then, and we apply, let's just go back to our quality lens, right? We apply that equality lens, right? We want to open our doors to anybody that can meet our 
baseline criteria, right? That right. is an equality lens, right? And, right, you don't need an admissions committee to do that in some ways, right? right? You don't yeah. need human beings to make that dis- decision, right? Right. right. You, you That's just a need game. a, it's a numbers game. Right. And so, well, I w- yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, there's a lot of assumptions in even us saying that it's a numbers game. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, you, well, you know, your community better than I'm going to stay out of that. I mean, well, well one <laughs> yeah. assumes things like there isn't bias in tests. It assumes things that like grade inflation doesn't exist. It assumes things that we grade fairly. <laughs> yes. Fairness. There we go again. Right. It, it assumes a, a lot of things. But if we are thinking about just this from a quantitative perspective, we're going to just go ahead and provide us all us, you and I in this conversation and all of our listeners with a little grace that we're going to assume that all of those things are real and true and that these are really good, honest to God metrics (laughs) that are both equal and fair. Right. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love that you made those distinctions because I think sometimes what happens is resistance will show up in the form of these factors are so complicated that if we start to think about all of them simultaneously, right, all of the unevenness that was baked into the system all along the pathways and pipelines to an applicant actually making it into our pools, that we might do nothing, right? right? We could be sort of paralyzed by that conversation. So, and the true work is all of it. Right. So I want to say that as well. Right. The true work is really understanding the ways, the myriad ways that people actually make it to our doors or don't. The ways that our pipeline sort of leaks out. And I we've thrown away sort of the pipeline analogy a a while ago. I really like pathways better Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. people are coming and going um, at various points in their career. But anyway, you make it to the pool. Right. And we apply a standardized, you know, set of criteria. Again, hopefully based on some um, <laughs> some internal evidence of that distinctions between a tenth of a GPA point matter. I don't know, or a GPA or a GRE score of very small percentile that they actually matter. Right? They make it into our pool. You apply this the same criteria to all candidates and. If we didn't think that practitioners need to have something else besides the ability to academically make it through a curriculum, then we would not have other right. criteria, right? Like right. for the sake of what does an essay exist? For the sake of what does an interview exist? They exist because our evidence shows that we need to have better variables to take into account, to look at in order to make decisions, right? right? So if all of that is true, if we already have adapted to have interviews and and essays, right? Then I wonder, right, for the sake of the candidate, for the sake of the of the provider, for the sake of the veterinarian that you're looking to, to grow and nurture and educate, then maybe there is something in there for the learning environment, having more different kinds of people. And so this is the, the case that your work 
uh, within AVMC makes all the time, right? We want a classroom that's reflective of the dimensions of difference in our society. We want an environment that's inclusive. We, we, we believe that sort of the case law, the Supreme Court that says that there's a compelling interest for diversity within within the student body, that that it improves the learning and the problem solving and all those things. So we build those that evidence in to the for the sake of what, then I I gotta believe that equity has to show up at that table, right? Right. That it's there's a recognition that if you start to go there, then you have to acknowledge that everybody's starting place is not the same. Right. Absolutely. Right, so let me pause and have you any reaction or questions. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, if this was just a numbers game, then this would make everyone's life a lot easier on the front end. Would it make our lives easier on the back end in terms of the profession? Questionably, no. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the larger evidence in human resources and in diversity and inclusion in general say, no, it's just not sufficient to just have these kind of very arbitrary metrics, right? And so to your point, that is why we have, you know, you want letters of recommendation, you want essays, you want to know what kind of extracurricular activities they're doing, you want to know a bit of their background. And so how does this show up during a deliberation, let's say for admissions? Well, you might have someone saying, oh, well, they took a lower, they only took nine credit hours that semester. But look, they worked 40 hours a week, yeah. right? They worked 40 hours a week and then they still went to school. <laughs> you know, they still took three classes or however many classes they took. So what does that look like in terms of holistic rigor <laughs> in terms yeah. of that individual's life, right? And why did they have to work 40 hours a week? You start asking more questions and you start thinking about Right. Their lived condition and what is it that brought them to have the kind of profile that they have. And you're looking and everyone's profile is going to be a bit different. Certainly there are markers, I think, that we see consistently across, you know, swaths of our applicant pool. But it's these kind of distinctions that un- that help us understand what makes candidates air quote, unique, (laughs) right, that differentiates. And I think that the same thing is true in hiring when you're thinking about things like, why do we do behavioral interviews? Yeah. Right. We're trying to understand a bit more about the individual. We don't want to just know what they've done in their previous job experience. That is critically important. But we also want to know what they will bring to the team beyond just core metric measurable skills. We want to know what that larger package is. And that really gets to the issue of equity, because if we're just, again, looking at hardcore skill base, those are pretty easy decisions to make. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've been thinking about this issue from the perspective of my other hat, not just as a consultant, but as a coach. And the question that I ask myself is, what's in the way of this conversation having traction within an admissions committee? What's in the way of this conversation having traction among colleagues? And I think there are two fundamental things that come up for me. One is the the fundamental belief that people want to have about themselves, which is, you know, I treat people the same. I'm a good person. Right. And 
I just want to not make any mistakes with admissions, right? Like a little bit of a risk. Like I don't want. <laughs> I don't want to be the one that. It, I don't want to be the one <laughs> that admitted the accident. Right? <laughs> right. Like so. So there's a there's a very there's something sort of fundamental about sort of a values around fairness, and then the thing about risk that really is triggering for some and using sort of the sort of the the physiological thing that happens right when people bring up something that challenges either your values or your safety right sure. and admissions work right like the decision making feels risky right it feels it's a values thing and it's a risk thing so the conversation that i kind of when i'm working with clients whether one-on-one on this kind of stuff or in groups, I really try to push to, all right, let's let's see what things give you safer ground, right? If the threat response is risk, right? Like, I don't want to be the one, right? What are the things that help you mitigate risk? So that's the first thing. And the second thing is the value around fairness, the, the value around treating people the same. How can we serve that value as well? And really try to unpack the conversation in that way. So I guess what, I, what I'd like to do is just talk about that a little bit, sort of easy tips sure. in terms of that. And then this could either be for somebody who wants to actually become more conversant on behalf of their, their institution with colleagues, or if, it's, if I'm talking to you, if I'm walking sure. up your street, right? So for the risk risk folks, right, the folks that are worried, one of the things I used to tell our dental schools all the time is really begin to collect your own data. Start to look at who's in your school, right, and what's going on, right? Like, so begin to find out how they made it to your, to your school. So using your example, are there people who worked, who only um, spent six hours in clinical settings and worked 40 hours, right? How are they doing, right? What's, can, you, can you do some interviews with them to find out what was their pathway? What can you learn about their, about their journey mm-hmm. that might be good fodder for admissions criteria or for questions that you might want to add as supplemental questions on an application. So my first tip for the person that's kind of squeamish about taking risks is steep yourself in sort of the evidence within your institution. The second is about growing folks that will can be sort of partners with you in um, in the journey, right? So it's not you sticking your neck out solely, but that you are, you know, sort of coveting with a um, a colleague that we're going to actually take this on together, right? We're going to do a pilot. We're going to try to recruit maybe from a school that really you have not seen a lot of applicants for. It could be, or you might want to have a couple of folks that are from community colleges. I mean, I don't know Mm -hmm. um, in veterinary medicine, what kind of are the sort of the taboo pathways. I know, um, I know in dentistry, you know, when we saw community college applicants, except if they were from California, we were like, oh, 
you know, let's look deeper in the transcript. Right, or, right, I don't know. Right. You know, it was sure. it was like something that got flagged. But really identify a couple of of ways that you could partner with people to kind of like, oh, let's take this on. Partners and champions within a committee. That's what I would say for the folks that are worried about risk. Can um, I add, go ahead. Yeah, please. One thing though, sure. I mean, you know, in terms of looking for that evidence within your your institution or you know, for example, your practice, maybe for for professionals who are in practices that are hiring, beware of confirmation bias. And I and I have oh, to yeah. say that it's really, really important because, and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to tell stories out of school and my daughter will kill me. But, you know, my daughter is famous for saying, oh, I tell her to do something and she's like, oh, I don't know, that's pretty risky. I'm like, why is that risky? Well, that one time. Right. <laughs> that I did X, Y, and Z, it didn't work out. So I don't want to do it again. So as you're looking at that information and that data and you're kind of mining data, look for those successful folks and see kind of understanding how and why they're successful. Don't necessarily always focus on the one or twos that, I mean, there is a, a, a risk reward part of admissions and hiring, right? There's, it could always go left, right? It could always go left. But really kind of one of my mentors, Pat Lowry, always says, what does success look like? And so focus on that successful piece and say, okay, here are some of the things that we found that are markers of success beyond those kind of, you know, those quantitative things. Like, yes, this person kind of maybe took a lighter cloak course load, but they worked many, many hours so that by the time they got to vet school, vet school actually was less challenging in terms of managing workload because they're used to that. Right. And so mm-hmm. look for those all, um, you know, be mindful of the risk, frankly, of mm-hmm. confirmation bias and focusing on those students who weren't successful, focus on the ones who are. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. It is so challenging. I'm, I've been guilty of hiring somebody that, oh, it's like, it's something I like about you. You know what? You yeah. remind me of myself, right? Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I've also and, had my own. <laughs> yes. We all have but, our stories. <laughs> right. But the ex- other extreme is, of course, true, right? You're going to, you can find extremes at anything, right? Right. You could find the student that's like, oh my goodness. Wow. It just didn't work out. Right. Out, right. And you're going to find the students in that who were such a surprise, right? They ended up being such a superstar. So you want to understand that as well. So, yeah, that's a a great caution. So that other group. Yeah, that other group is sort of um, has a value around fairness, right? Like just gets a little uncomfortable where uh, when anyone talks about anything that dare I say it on air, reeks of favoritism, right? And I, I honestly, I want you uh, for, if that is, if that is you, if I'm talking to you or you, I'm talking to you, who's talking to your colleague, my first encouragement is look that in the eye, hold up a mirror, right? Like the reality is that, and we know this from, oh my gosh, that admission scandal, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. Favoritism is, it is the order of the day, right? Like we know by all the bias research that, that we prefer things that are similar to us. Our brain wants to make shortcuts, right? It wants to, 
it's lazy and wants to just find the simplest path to understand things. So it's a myth, frankly, that we um, that we are oh we're able to unpack that bias and just you know look at the world with with brand new eyes. Mm-hmm. So if that is so, just breathe, take a deep breath. It's all good, right? We're Kim. My name is Kim, right? Like I I like people, places, and things that are similar to me, right? And with that knowledge, then set an intention. So, all right. So my intention, my hope, dream, wish, aspiration is to be able to treat people as fairly as I can, is to not make distinctions based on this or that difference, right? Right. Right? All right. So, great. All right. So what are the ways given that you know that everyone does not have start at the same spot on the track and field what are the ways that you might step into a conversation about fairness in that context right mm-hmm. what is fairness it's almost like the redefine what does it mean to be fair in that context sure. that's your starting place and i i feel like your mission really is gonna, is sort of your anchor. So, um, you know, there's all this research about the meritocracy myth and and how it makes its way, how it made its way in the first place into our education system. I would say, you know, get, jump into that literature. Derek Bach and and Bowen and The Shape of the River long ago, right? That that tome uh, that we all kind of refer to really talks about really how equity sort of got its its rooting um, and naming it in, in higher ed. I would say also for um, for human medicine, which I learned to say from you from you, Lisa, <laughs> when we look at health disparities, it often is a way to anchor folks for whom fairness is a key value, right? It's mm-hmm. It's understanding not just the outcomes, right? Like, so at the end of looking at a disease process, right? We look at the outcomes. It disproportionately affects this group or that group. But it's also looking at it with, let's just say, for example, a race equity lens, right? So there are all of these other social determinants of health for people from those groups, right? Contributing, exacerbating, um, being part of that health outcome, right? Uncoupling those two things, yeah. right? Is is giving an incomplete picture. So for people that have sort of a fairness lens, I would say also really understanding kind of what happens at the other end of uh, a workforce that's very homogeneous, right? What are the outcome on behalf of animals? What, how does the system impact it, right? And that might be a uh, a better anchor mm-hmm. in terms of addressing fairness. Sure. So I have some other questions. For oh you. yeah, I'm sorry. So let's talk know. about. So so for example, I've been working with a number of groups over the last year, and we're talking about making some changes in admissions and their admissions process and the tools that you use to evaluate applicants, as well as kind of what those metrics are, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so one of the pieces of pushback, and I think that you've kind of addressed what those individuals should do, but what should um, kind of allies and leaders, kind of how how might they navigate this? But one of the pieces of pushback is we recognize that there's a system, the existing system does not look at applicants in the way that produces um, um, all of the diversity that we want, in addition to kind of those, you know, academic blah, blah, blah thing mm-hmm. that are very important. So I don't want when folks hear um, hear this podcast and, and say, she said, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that does not <laughs> diminish the meaning of, of the academic portion. We want folks who can actually withstand the rigor of the curriculum. But let's put that on a shelf for a moment. But when we talk about, okay, here are some of the other things that we value, that we find important in terms of the future of the profession. Let's change the way that we look at applicants to increase the, the value and importance that we put on those things. Mm-hmm. We have members that will say, whoa, wait a minute, that's changing the rules mm-hmm. for all of these folks who basically thought that they were a shoe in. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and is that fair? Yeah. So I, I think also, so first let me acknowledge the question. I think let's assume good intent with the sure, question, absolutely. right? Let's assume that it's not just plain old, we don't want to do anything different. <laughs> this is not the podcast on resistance to change. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> so, but let's assume there's a genuine concern about dis, um, disadvantaging sure. groups, right? Um, and I think that that healthy skepticism is actually built into the way that um, the Supreme Court's, you know, the current ruling that talks about uh, race, race-based or race- Conscious. Uh, conscious, yes, thank you. Race-conscious um, admissions policy. So it, it asks you to periodically look one, whether or not you could achieve the same outcomes, not using race. And then two, that you narrow tailor the way you use it, right? So right. just to make sure that you're not advantaging. So, so I think it is good practice, actually, to look at the processes in those ways, right? So what would you get in your, in your, um, in your pool, if you just looked at the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right? Right. And then what would you get using these other range of non-cognitive variables, right? So I think those practices are healthy. They give you a leg to stand on and they help you answer that question, which is, are we disadvantaging other groups, right? Mm-hmm. And then if the answer is maybe, right, maybe we're getting three more students, three students of, I'll just use students of color just for argument's sake, but it could be any dimension of difference. Um, Three more students of color in where there might have been, just say, three white students 10 years ago, right, or 20 years ago. If that is so, then I would say from a, legal and really, I don't know, fairness standpoint, go back to your mission. For the sake of what are you doing, right? Is your policy in keeping with what you're trying to do? I think that is, Mm. there is totally a conversation there that you could have with alumni, people who are worried and concerned that says, look, our mission is this. Our practice is this. 
Yes, we got three less students than we would have had 20 years ago, but here's what we're trying to do. And here's what we expect from those graduates. I think it's totally anchoring. Mm -hmm. I think schools would feel even better if they did the work to actually check and see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So ultimately... You know, I think that 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 I can imagine folks listening to the show, some of those skeptics and say, well, isn't the ultimate goal equality versus this equity stuff? Yeah, I don't know. I, I My answer to that is I don't know. I don't know if that's the goal or not. I know that we are we are in a system that advantages some and disadvantages others and that in order to ensure that everyone has an opportunity to succeed, that's the equality part, right? (laughs) Everyone has the opportunity to succeed. If the system isn't set up that way, I, you know, I I don't see a path forward there. Mm -hmm. So I think what we can ask is just to keep at it, um, is to be in pursuit of an opportunity for everyone to succeed and in the meantime, what we have is clunky, uneven, right? Like just the best we can do to get there. Right. right? And, you know, for, for folks that are setting up processes, I, you know, I am actually in favor of revisiting them, right? This did not work in 2017. We need to revisit this, yeah. right? This is the wonderful thing about positioning this work at, at research research institutions, institutions where there are scholars who are who are comfortable with the question and the methods, right? Like keep working at it. Yeah. Right? Throw that out. All right, we'll we'll do something new. I know easier said than done in terms of resources. I work for myself now. So <laughs> I just give people um good advice and then I get to Go home. Go home. Sit with the hard work, but, but yeah. So that's that's my counsel. Keep at it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that you know it it underscores kind of what we do in education, right? And that is the constant pursuit of improvement, and you know that requires us to to constantly gut check, constantly evaluate, reevaluate, reassess, pivot, and make adjustments in order for us to achieve our goals. And I think that, that I think that, that one of the biggest takeaways from this conversation is that a lot of this work and all of our work has to be mission driven. Right. And that again, gets to kind of one of those questions that I always am asking is, you know, what does success look like and how do we get to yes? Mm -hmm. Right. How do we get to yes? Let us look at things um, and look at people a bit differently and kind of what are they where are they coming from and what are they bringing and really kind of think creatively around how do we define what it is that we're looking for and how do we assess it? Yeah. I, I couldn't, what came up for me just now when you were talking is what's our mindset about this work, right? Like if we, if we had a mindset around, around equity, how would that, what would change, right? If we had a heart set, this is, my, this is my new adapted word, heart set, right? If we had a both mind and heart set for this, what would our intentions be? How would what we do change if that was if that was f- top of mind? Mm-hmm. And I 
I, I, to your point about getting to yes, that's the way you get to yes, right? When you, you say, look, what's happening, what's going to happen is we're going to leave this table with, with a, a solution, right? That's, that is out front. It's not starting with, let's describe the problem, right? Let's start with, hmm, this is a problem we need to solve. Mindset says, all right, we have the solutions, the sufficiency mindset. We have, we have what we need. Let's work with it. So um, as we start to, to wrap up, one of the things that I, I think is also important for folks to know is that, and we talked about this in our, in our kind of prep work, is kind of, you know, knowing better and doing better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and there's a whole body of literature, and I certainly talk of, for folks that know that I, I'm doing some work also in financial literacy education and kind of understanding human behavior as we learn things, that there are certain things that we learn that we know the kind of arbitrary like stuff about X, right? But that doesn't really reflect how we feel <laughs> about X. That heart, you know, those the, the heartstrings, that heart part, right? It doesn't necessarily, we know X, but we feel Y. And so knowing better isn't actually we find doesn't change behavior right in human in human behavior literature we find that knowing better rarely correlates with yeah i would lose i would be 20 pounds well i tell people all the time i'm like i could look like beyonce but i really like carbs like i i love them and Mm -hmm. so so i think that it's important for folks to know that whether or not you are doing this work, and by this work, I mean diversity and inclusion and or social justice work, does not mean that you've arrived to whatever magic thinking, like that we've got it all figured out. Like we don't. I have to gut check (laughs) my equity, fairness, equality lens all the time. Yes. And it's a muscle and you have to kind of develop it and work at it and think about it and 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 have it be something you mentioned earlier. You have to set an intention Mm -hmm. if if this is a value and fairness is a value for you, then there has to be an intention associated with it for you to kind of sit down and think about, well, what does this really mean? And and how do I understand that? And how do I apply it to this particular circumstances that I find myself in, Mm -hmm. whether it's admissions or hiring or watching CNN, MSNBC, Fox, whatever it is, even in the evaluation of news, like you have to sit down and kind of think about what that intention is. Mm -hmm. I think I think the the starting place for the intention really is it really is I think anchoring yourself in how would I describe it I think it's it's really just it's an awareness it's the same thing that we teach with bias right it is right now what's where's my emotion where do I where's my head are they aligned um, I think that is, that's critically important. Mm. Yep, absolutely. So any parting words of wisdom, you've given us lots to think about yeah. <laughs> during this last hour, parting words of wisdom for folks that are wrestling with fairness, equity, and equality. Yeah, I would say f- the first thing is when you, when you think you know ask questions and be curious. I I would say challenge your assumptions. 
one of the things that I just benefit from in my practice is that I really get curious about what what the experience of others is. So, um, so if, for example, there's some students and you're like, wow, I, their experience is so unique, like ha- invite them to lunch, really try to understand more about that journey, perhaps, so that, you know, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to c- conversations with colleagues, you're able to kind of, uh, it's steeped in some, you know, some other data. Sure. Um, and um, I would say also, you know, to the extent you can, um, when there are feelings of discomfort, you know, guilt, anxiety, those triggering moments uh-huh. that you notice them first and choose your action once you notice them, right? So often what's happening is that we're acting out of sort of our feeling, not our thinking. Mm. Um, so, so it is to slow down and say, oh, wow, right? I'm not driving the car. The car is driving me, right? I'm acting out of fear, right? I'm acting out of, oh, I don't know the answer. I, you know, right? Somebody very influential said, this is not a good idea. So let me back down, right? Notice it. And then, you know, buy yourself time. Ask a good question. I'm curious. What made you say that? Yeah. Right? Just, you know, give yourself a minute. Don't be afraid of the discourse. Do not be afraid of the discourse. So, all right. This has been a great discussion. So before I let you go, tell us about your podcast, Kim. Uh, yeah. So I am uh, about nine months into a podcast called the Visible Women Podcast. Uh, we highlight issues related to women of color, diversity, appearance, diversity, inclusion, and appearance. And we put them in the spotlight. So our shows include topics like... Um, um, millennials and faith. Uh, we talk about um, silencing in the workplace. We talk about authenticity. Uh, we talk about um, style and power, which is our most yeah. recent uh, episode. And our goal really is to uh, encourage women who may feel like they're in the margins may or may have been even pushed to the margins to really step into a much more visible place. And for people who are already in visible places, really making um, making their inner light shine even brighter. So it's great conversations. We're biweekly and um, with my co-host, Corinne Corbett. Yeah. It's a fun show. Um, I listen. I'm a big fan for folks that know that I'm a podcast junkie. Um, It's a great show. And um, Lord knows I've uh, mined some ideas, including um, the most recent episode uh, that we released um, on what does it mean to look professional on (laughs) on our show. Oh, good. A fun conversation about hair and tattoos and, you know, where does the blue blazer come from and and all of these kinds of of things and kind of how do people show up and how do people learn 
um, these kinds of trappings of what it means to look professional. Um, and there's certainly issues around gender, there's issues around culture, there's issues around generation. Um, and, um, you know, I certainly get some really great ideas from uh, the Visible Women podcast because there's some some great overlap sometimes and some, um, some content there. So be sure to check out that show. Sounds good. Lisa, thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, for that conversation. I think it's an important one and one that we'll probably be continuing in the future. So this is another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air, focusing on equality, equity, and fairness. You can find back issues, um, episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, all of your favorite podcast apps. You can also be sure to like our Facebook page, AAVMC Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcasts um, for more information about the shows um, and diversity and inclusion topics in higher ed in general. So with that, I will say goodbye to everyone, especially Kim. Thank you so much again for joining us. So great to be with you. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.